everyone spouts out that content marketing, creating content, creating social media posts, it's a long-term strategy and you have to persevere with it and it'll grow over time. I fully agree with that, with the caveat that you have to be getting better and there has to be some kind of engagement that you're seeing that's getting better and better. Because if it's not growing in engagement, if you're not growing in followers, like you're just stagnating and you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So you just need to really be careful that you don't fall into that trap of just following the process for following the process sake. If it's not working, like change it up. Welcome back to the Audience Growth Podcast. My name is Nikki Hutchison and today I am chatting to Andrew and Pete. Now, Andrew and Pete have been on my radar and I've been part of their community for a number of years now. They have a successful membership called Atomic and they run a brilliant digital marketing conference called Atomicon. They've been really successful growing an audience. It's definitely more of a community than an audience of people who are simply following them. They really make you feel part of it. So who better to chat to us today about audience growth? So Andrew and Pete, welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Could you introduce yourselves, please? It's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting us on, Nikki. And thanks, everyone, for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to us waffle on a little bit. And hopefully today we can give you loads and loads of awesome advice and tips. We're Andrew and Pete. This is the sound of Pete. And this is the sound of Andrew. And basically, we're a business duo. We live to help small business owners, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call yourself, grow in sales and income and scale your business so that you can work less, but make more money. And we do that with our membership, Atomic, with our conference, Atomicon, with our one-to-one accelerator program, Rebels. And yeah, we just love to help out small business owners. Amazing. So this podcast is, surprise, surprise, all about audience growth, but not just for the sake of having a big audience. We're not interested in fake followers. We are all about helping business owners to grow an engaged audience of people who will hopefully end up supporting them and buying from them ultimately. So more of a community than an audience, really. I feel like growing an engaged community is something that you have been incredibly successful at, both for your membership, Atomic that you mentioned, and for your digital marketing conference, Atomicon. Can you walk us through how things started out for you? Oh, how things started out for us. So the journey starts back in 2008. And we met at university and we soon became friends and kind of bonded over our ambition of entrepreneurship. We wanted to rule the world one day. We were young, we were naive, we had like a lot of drive. And when we graduated uni, we decided not to go into the kind of corporate job kind of world that uni was pushing us down. We decided to like do what we wanted to do and launch our own business. So after three years of uni, we launched the business in 2011. And we tried out a bunch of stuff, failed at a bunch of stuff over the first few years of running our business. But one thing we were doing was we were building websites for people and we were doing branding for people that kind of morphed into a marketing agency, which then morphed into the kind of one-to-many model of having a membership and kind of running Atomic. 
Can you remember at what point did you change from those done-for-you services and the agency style model to what you do now? And was it a gradual shift? Yeah, absolutely. It was essentially when we started to get a little bit busier with one-to-one work and we were too scared to raise our prices. So we basically thought, hey, we're busy. We're never going to make any more income, like just swapping our time for money. So let's think about how we can have like a scalable business model. And we'd grown our network and we're feeling good. So we went and launched a membership. In hindsight, we launched the membership way too early. We did not have the audience size to support it. So for the first few years of Atomic, we basically really struggled to support ourselves with just the membership. We wasn't making enough money at all. There was like 30 to 60 members. And because of that, we had to do client work as well as run the membership, as well as improve the membership, as well as try and sell the membership as well as try and grow the audience. And that was very, very hard and stressful. So I don't recommend that, Nikki. You need to get to a certain size of email subscribers before launching a membership, I would say. And what would you say that is? I know you're going to ask that. Okay, well, to give you some context, we know two companies that launched at a similar time, a membership, and one had 10,000 email subscribers and one had 2,000 email subscribers. When they launched, they had about 300 people join. And it was a low ticket membership around £30 a month. So I would say you need around 2,000 raving fans or a wait list like the size of like three to 600. If you have less than that, you're probably going to get between 30 and 150 members, which is still really good. And you can grow from there. It's just harder. And depending on how much money you've saved up and depending on how expensive your costs are, etc., you might still have to do one-to-one work. I think these aren't kind of hard and fast rules with numbers, but... I do think it matters like how you've grown that list as well. And like if you have a thousand people on your list, but every single person on that email list is opening every one of your emails and they're eating everything up and they join a wait list and they want the membership, then yeah, you can launch it with less people. But before you do, I would question like who are these people on your list? Are they that eager to buy? I kind of don't want to say it's a numbers game because I do feel like people do focus on having thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands even of numbers and like numbers don't always equate to sales like you said at the top of this podcast but the more raving fans you can have when you're trying to do kind of low ticket mass market product the better. Yeah and I think the membership is like the go-to thing that people really want and it's like sold as this dream and to be honest, like if it's going really well, it can be awesome, but it is a lot harder work than you think. And you need a team to run a membership and to live that lifestyle of not working too hard. So it isn't as easy as people think. You need a bigger email list than you think. And if I'm quite honest, there's definitely better semi-scalable or fully scalable income streams that people can have with less followers that will allow them to make more money quicker more profitably. So it's just something to bear in mind. I remember you sending me a bonjoro, Pete, a few years ago when I was in Atomic and I was thinking, I really want to start a membership. And you sent me this bonjoro saying, don't do it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> really? That is funny. Were you on a bad day, Pete? <laughs> 
But it was really valuable advice. And ever since then, I've just thought, right, just hold off, hold off, hold off. Your time will come for a membership, but it's still not here now. It's funny. I see it happen a thousand times over. Out of our audience, I would say 90% of them either have zero email subscribers or 250 email subscribers. Maybe 10% of them will have like two to 5,000. But those people with less than like 2,000 or less than 1,000 email subscribers, typically speaking, we see them launch memberships or courses and it just kind of flop. And then six months later, they have to quit it because it's too much work for too little money, which is unfortunate, but it doesn't mean they can never do it. But like I said, there's other more profitable income streams for those people as well. Absolutely. So the first time that I came to Atomicon was in 2019. Was that the first time that you ran it? That was the first time we did it, yeah. And then John and I joined remotely two years ago. 2021, we were back in person. When you first decided to add in a conference to your business model, did it feel scary? It was scary and it wasn't. We were nervous about doing it. And we always said like we would make that call at the right time. But I felt like we were pretty confident it was the right time because we had just done a member survey. And at the end of the member survey, there was a question that asked, what do you want from us that we're not currently doing? And 25% of the people unprompted that filled out that survey said, we want a conference. There wasn't even a question about the conference. Like, it was just in that like final kind of catch-all kind of question that you put in surveys. And we thought maybe like now is the right time to do it. But unlike when we launched Atomic, with Atomicon, we followed the data a lot more. There was even a point, Pete, I don't know if you remember this, before we decided to launch Atomicon, where we like worked out all the costs. And I think we needed like 80 people for it to break even or not be a ridiculous loss or something like that. And I even remember like going through the membership, like thinking that person would come, that person would come. <laughs> like we made this list of like 80, like I'm pretty sure they're going to come to Atomicon. And that kind of gave us confidence to launch. And when we launched that first Atomicon in 2019, so we were confident we were going to get the 80 people. We actually sold over 300 tickets in five days for that first Atomicon. And yeah, we knew that the need was there. Again, the key was, you know, the audience. And that's the reason people are listening to this podcast, right? They want more advice on growing their audience because it is so freaking important. We were able to survey the members to see what the demand was like. And then we were able to launch it and sell 300 tickets rather than 80 tickets. And it's the same with the membership. The bigger our audience got, the more members we got. So it's just like this constant thing that you need to be doing just like keep growing your audience people yes and in terms of engaging your members because i do feel like you have a very very engaged audience and membership what special things do you do to keep people engaged and happy so i would say that it's a series of constant improvement constant surprises and also like giving a damn like caring about them so for example Today, I had a little bit of extra time and I spent way longer than I should have replying to someone. In fact, I actually did a 10-minute video for them and I sent it to them. Now, you don't expect that. If you were to reach out to most kind of like gurus out there, like you might get a short response back if you're lucky or an assistant replies or something. You know what? I can't do that for everyone. But if I can surprise someone occasionally by doing that, then great. When it comes to our membership, like we're constantly refreshing things as well and trying to surprise them 
and trying to improve things because we care, because we listen, we take the time to listen to them. For example, one of the things we started doing randomly was win of the week. So how this works is the post goes something like this. Share what's your biggest win this week. Post it in the comments. And we're going to pick someone at random. And tonight, one person is going to win a pizza. We're going to deliver it to your door. And tonight, you can have a pizza for the whole family. Nobody expects that. But it's fun. It's cool. It's not even about business, but it fosters loyalty and surprise. You know, if you can keep doing things like that, then great. We once did with our email list, the 12th person to reply gets a free ticket to Atomicon which was great in two ways, like it's surprise. It also told us who's interested in coming to Atomic Con. So we could follow up with those people. Like, hey, do you want a ticket anyway? Like, here's the sales page. You know, it was a nice thing to do. It was a surprise. And if you can keep doing things like that, then you're going to keep people on the toes. And I talk a lot with my clients about not spreading themselves too thin and trying to be on every single platform every single day when they are just really starting to focus on audience growth. Where did you start on your audience growth journey? And has that changed compared to today? We started blogging and on Twitter. I think Twitter was actually first, Pete, wasn't it? I remember like getting super excited when we got like 100 followers on Twitter. So Twitter was our thing. Blogging then was our thing for like a good few years. And we were like growing our email list. Then it was a big switch to video and a big switch to YouTube. I feel like we had a realization at one point that like our blogs were pretty dry in comparison to how we were presenting ourselves. We were doing a lot of networking at the time and networking, we would go to like local networking events and throw chocolates across the room or take like indoor fireworks or like those confetti cannons. And we were doing like a lot of that stuff offline and online, the regular content, I wouldn't say showed our personality all that much. So we switched to video and we saw just an immediate uptake in engagement, in leads coming through that content and getting other opportunities like podcasting and speaking gigs. So we just did more and more and more and more videos and like video content is kind of what we've been doing for the past five, six years, I would say. So did you remove blogging from the mix altogether? We were repurposing. So like YouTube and video became like our thing. And we were embedding the videos on the blog. And we were getting the videos transcribed into like blogs. But we weren't like trying to like get backlinks or link to a ton of other content on our site, that kind of thing. One thing to note on that is that we're constantly evolving our strategy and trying to improve it. And I think what a lot of people do is They give themselves like a plan and a strategy and a process and they'll just follow it relentlessly, believing that if I just stick to the plan and be consistent, like one day I will take off. Whereas it's really not true. If you're not getting comments and reactions now, you're not going to be getting comments and reactions in a year's time magically. Everyone spouts out that content marketing, creating content, creating social media posts, it's a long-term strategy and you have to persevere with it and it'll grow over time. I fully agree with that, with the caveat that you have to be getting better and there has to be some kind of engagement that you're seeing that's getting better and better. Because if it's not growing in engagement, if you're not growing in followers, like you're just stagnating and you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So you just need to really be careful that you don't fall into that trap of just following the process for following the process sake. If it's not working, like change it up. If you've been doing the same 250 word blogs for three years, 
religiously every month with a monthly newsletter and some tweets here and there repurposing about your blogs. And guess what? It's not working. Like, don't keep doing that. Not going to work. It's not going to suddenly magically take off. We honestly believe you'd be better cold calling people than like writing blogs every single month for like three months that no one's reading or commenting on. It's just a waste of time. So how long do you give your strategy to work before moving on to something else? What do you pay attention to? If it doesn't get a reaction, don't do it again. It's as simple as that. If you do a 250-word blog, it gets zero interaction. Nobody says that's good. You email it to everyone you know, and no one replies to you. Don't do it again. Improve it. Or add in a free pizza next time. (laughs) Yeah, it's like something needs to change. So it's not like we have, like, right, let's do this for a month or two. It's a constant thing that we're doing on like an almost weekly basis. So like every week we come to write like our content. And like in that time, we'll spend a little bit of time just like brainstorming and just like chatting about what's worked, why it's worked, what hasn't worked, why it hasn't worked, how we're going to tweak that going forward. I think that is so important. And it's something that I've been working on in my business recently, because I've realized that not only do I become incredibly grumpy if I don't have time to think about what's happening in my own business. But I also just end up rushing things and not thinking about things properly. You need that time in that space, don't you? You can't just be doing all the time. I think it's really undervalued how much brainstorming and creativity and space to think is. Not procrastinating, that's something different, but scheduled in the diary time to reflect on what's going well, what isn't going well. Maybe even talking it over with someone or hiring people like yourself, Nikki, to like help you and joining your programs to help you. This is an amazing investment. Like everyone should hire Nikki, by the way, and join all of her programs. Because if Nikki can help you create better content, then literally you're going to grow your audience faster. And guess what? Like that is compounding over time and pays off forevermore. wanted to interrupt the podcast at this point. As Pete has so kindly teed this up for me, I run group programs for entrepreneurial women who want to grow engaged audiences so that they can make more sales. I offer two programs, a business accelerator called The Charge and a group program called Audience Growth Club. There are tons of testimonials along with all of the information about these programs on my website, nikkihutchison.com, and we'll link to the waiting lists for each of these programs in today's show notes. Like if we get 100 more subscribers on our email list, we can email that same 100 subscribers every single day forevermore until they unsubscribe. We don't actually email our list every single day, but we could. And some people recommend that. And do you know what? Growing your audience is the best investment you can make. And that's the difference between rich and poor. Rich people invest in assets. An audience is an asset. Can I just point something out about email as well? Because I do think sometimes people overlook email as a content medium. I think they'll often think email is more of like a sales medium. I'm going to send like these monthly newsletters. Like for us, our email is like the most important piece of content we create because people have given us something, their email address and said like, I want to hear from you guys. So if our Instagram dies down for a few months, if if we take a break from our YouTube, 
like we're never taking a break from email. Like email is like the number one importance in terms of content for us. If we've got a rushed week, we'll prioritize email over everything. I still think it's probably the most overlooked bit of content you can be creating. And people don't think to put more value in their emails than they are putting into other pieces of content online that they're giving away for free. They should be more value in being subscribed to your newsletter or your email list or whatever you want to call it than they should be following you on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or whatever. I sometimes wonder if that's because it's hidden away and nobody potentially sees what's in your emails if they don't open it or they're not on your list. Whereas something like Instagram is so visible and so public. So people often feel, oh, I need to make more effort because everybody's going to see it there. But actually the content in your emails is the stuff that's probably going to drive more sales. It is. And it's the number one driver of sales, but it's also where your most loyal fans are. So you should really be nurturing those. It's not like a place where you can just repurpose your social posts or send people to like your podcast and that's all you do. Give them more value and they'll be forever loyal to you. And the fact that you're not giving that value anywhere else means that they feel like they're part of something and they want to open your emails more rather than just thinking, oh, well, I saw this like same thing wrote on our Instagram the other day. Or, oh, it's just a link to a podcast again. But guess what? I'm subscribed to a podcast, so I never actually need to open our emails. What's the point? Unsubscribe. So to someone discovering Andrew and Pete today, it might look as if you've been an overnight success. What would you say to that? (laughs) BS. I feel like being successful is such a weird thing. And I feel like there's lots of things that we don't feel successful in yet. And I feel like that is something that... When you're looking from the outside at like your competition or anyone that you follow or you admire, you shouldn't let that stop you from doing anything because you often like don't know like what's going on behind the scenes. How many hours are they working? How many weekends have they actually had off in the past like 10 years? Like you don't know that kind of stuff. We can hand on heart say this has not been an overnight success. It's been like a lot of blood, sweat and tears over the years, a lot of failing stuff, a lot of getting back up and trying again. So, yeah. We made like zero money for like the first five years. Really? Yeah. Well, the first three years, we were trying to get investment for like an app idea. And we had like, I'd say about five businesses that completely failed. And we actually only started making any money and not a lot of money, like literally like 500 to 1,000 pounds a month. When we got so fed up that someone just asked us to make a website for them. And like, we were like, okay, we can do that. We'll charge you like a hundred quid for it. Because we didn't know how much to charge for a website. And so... Not a hundred quid listeners. (laughs) Yes, definitely charge more. We actually, we did a, a funny thing on our Instagram last week. Followers, by the way, at Andrew and Pete on Instagram, about how much was it, Andrew? I think it was like £45 for a logo. £45 for a logo, which means that if we wanted to make not even minimum wage, like between us, we would have to create like 62 logos a month, which is like basically like two a day. And that's like not doing like anything else. It's just ridiculous. Like we were so naive. So if you're not making much money out there, like you're probably doing better than us five years in. So don't give up. That's definitely what we had going for us though. Like we were not giving up. It almost didn't bother us in a way, did it Pete? Like back in the day, I feel like if you are in that spot now, it's almost a little bit exciting and you could look at it and like the world is your oyster. Like there's so much more that you could be doing. So just like keep trying different stuff. 
you will find the thing that sticks. And I know that nowadays, Pete, you're particularly interested in the mindset side of business. When did that all kind of kick off? That's funny you should say that. I think it's more because I post it, but we both think about it a lot. I think you are probably a bit more mindsetty. I feel like your headspace, yeah, what'd you say? your headspace streak is a lot longer than mine. It's true. Although I am at about like 420 days in a row. Oh, I'm devastated. I'm devastated. I haven't told you Have you, you this. lost your streak? I lost it. I lost it. Oh, yeah. oh no. Oh, okay. I was on nearly 800 days meditation in a row. You don't sound that sympathetic, Angie. Well, Nikki, you now need to ask me the question. Uh, that's what I was going to say. You're... You actually sound quite happy with this news. So come it on, does. <laughs> tell us. But okay, let me answer the question seriously. I've always been interested in mindset from an early age because... For me, I had quite a difficult childhood growing up. Like, I'm disabled and using a wheelchair in school, kids are not very nice to you. They do not invite you to parties. They do not know how to behave around you. It's not their fault, but no one's ever taught how to behave in front of people in wheelchairs. So I had a very, very difficult childhood. And I focused a lot on my mindset when I was in my teenage years because I was just like really down and depressed about everything, basically. And then at university, I kind of like, unleashed myself and I read loads of mindset books. I met some amazing friends like Andrew and my life kind of like turned around a lot more. So I know the importance of mindset, but throughout our last 12 years in business, the thing that we see impact people the most is the mindset. Everything in business takes confidence and guts to do. Everything that's worthwhile takes confidence. And Especially when it comes to content, you know, and growing your audience, you have to be proactive. You have to shove your content in people's faces. You have to ask people for favors. You have to ask people to share your stuff. You have to reach out to the most important like people that you know and say, hey, can I be on your podcast, please? Or can I speak on your stage? You have to put yourself out there. You have to create content which displays you as an expert and authoritative. And all that is extremely scary because you don't know if you're right. Like nobody knows if they're right. If we say you shouldn't launch a membership unless you have like 2,000 email subscribers, like who are we to say that? Another authoritative figure on memberships could say, well, actually you only need 500 people and disagree with us. And the fact that someone could do that is really scary. But one way to get over that, just that one particular thing is, If you share what you've seen from your experience, you can never be wrong. So I didn't necessarily say you should have 2,000 people. I merely said to you that in our experience, we've seen someone at 2,000, someone at 10,000, they launched and got 300 members. Okay, so you can't argue with that. And I can't feel like I'm putting myself on a pedestal because I'm not. I'm just telling you what I've seen. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I come back to sometimes when I'm on a client call and somebody asks, because they do, don't they? Sometimes they ask you questions, you think, oh, that's a bit tricky. I always kind of ground myself and think, right, if it was me in this specific scenario, what would I do? And I think as long as you're coming from that place and not saying, yes, I've been there, I've done that, I've experienced everything, and this is the right way to do it, then that's all good. Yeah, I think that's what people feel like they need to do. They need to go, hey, I'm the expert and this is what you should do. But if you come across it from a point of learning, like we're all learning all the time, we're all students to our own expertise and knowledge. Like, And then if you're sharing what you're learning and experience and telling stories and so forth, like you can never be called out. So I think that's cool. 
So we need to hear about this streak. Meditation streak, that is, for the record. Yeah, I should say, we need to hear about this meditation streak. <laughs> I've been streaking for the past 450 days. <laughs> it's been going really well. I'm feeling really free and one with the world. <laughs> Haven't been arrested yet. No. You know what? I feel like when lockdown hit, it was probably the most stressful time for us with a big conference around the corner and a lot of unhappy customers. And some people like accused us of all sorts of things when we wanted to do the conference at one point when it looked like we could do it. People were like basically telling us like we were killing people at one point. And it was tough. And it's like stuff that we had never like dealt with before. We had never really had anything like that happen to us on scale. And I feel like that's probably true of a lot of people. Like none of us have experienced anything like the pandemic. But like having that conference, it was very, very kind of stressful. And like mental health was not great around the time. So finding more mindfulness practices and like learning more about that and how we can apply that in business, I think has been very important for like getting through the past couple of years. And my brain goes at 100 miles an hour and I never thought I would be able to do meditation. I've tried it multiple times over like our 10 years in business and I've never been able to crack it. And I think Pete, you actually gifted me the Headspace app for Christmas. Did you? I think you did. Yeah, I bought it, an annual pass for you. I think that was like the Christmas before the pandemic hit. So you must have like had some kind of crystal ball actually where you like you knew it was coming or something. But like when all that happened, I was like, you know what? I like I'm gonna crack this. Yeah, I need to like get my thoughts in check here. And like I persevered with it and now like I do it every day. And it's just really interesting, like how your brain can play tricks on you and like tell you different stories just like throughout the day, whether you see like a comment on social media or, or like an email comes in. So just being able to like catch those things before you like feel it, I think has been really, really important skill to master. Okay, so you obviously have a really strong brand as Andrew and Pete. Do you ever do anything business-wise on your own? We streak alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we do and we don't. I feel like we did a lot together. And we've always done like a lot together. Maybe like the last few years, Pete, it's felt like we've done more things by ourselves. Like we'll sometimes do like client calls solo and that kind of thing, which we haven't done for a long time. Because we used to have an office. And so we were just in the office together constantly. So although a lot of people thought there's two people to share the workload, we didn't actually have twice as much time as everyone else at all. Like we did everything together. And if anything, it just took us longer because. We'd just be like, oh, well, I would have wrote that, or I would have put this, and oh. So there's a lot of that. And obviously, we have to make twice as much money because there's two of us. So after the pandemic, we were forced to leave the office. We couldn't go into the office. So we kind of learned to work a little bit more separately and also utilize our time a bit better separately as well. So play into our strengths like, Andrew, you do the accounts on Friday and I'll do this sales call or write in a post about mindset for the community or something like that. So we've split it apart. Nikki, Pete told me the other day that you complimented him on our email and he passed the compliment on to me because he hadn't even seen it that day because I had wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> we trust each other. So it's like, okay, Andrew, you write the emails this week. I'm going to do this other thing this week. And in terms of getting invited to speak at events or interviewed on podcasts like this one, do you ever say no or do you feel like all publicity is good publicity? Oh, no. You have to say no. Yeah, you have to say no to some. 
There's some that we feel really bad about saying no to, so we'll ask them to swing back to us, like, in a few months' time. And, like, it's crazy. Like, nine times out of ten, like, they just don't swing back. But I feel like you do have to say no. I think with podcasts specifically... And we're not saying that we will only do like big podcasts. I think what we look for when we get invited onto podcasts is how much is the podcast host actually doing to promote it? Because it's crazy. Like you'll get invited onto podcasts, you'll check them out and they've not promoted like the last like three episodes. It's like, if they're not going to be bothered to promote it, why are we spending our time to like go on their show and then they're going to ask us to promote it? Like no doubt. Coming right up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And what about your weekly content schedule these days? How involved are you or have you taken a step back? Because I know you've got a reasonably sized team now, haven't you? So with the content, I feel like we go through cycles with this. Like, for example, we're not actually focusing all that much on YouTube anymore for multiple reasons. We just got like a bit bored of the types of content we had to create on YouTube to get found in search. We didn't really want to be doing that. So we decided to pause that at the start of this year and focus more on Instagram. But when we were doing YouTube more regularly, like the process was like pretty much down with the whole team. Like we were scripting, recording, and then it went off to the editor. The editor was talking to our content manager who then uploaded it, did the subtitles, I put it on the blog, like all of that. Now we are back in experimentation phase with the Instagram because we're trying something new this year. And it's back on us because we don't tend to outsource unless we know something is working. We're not big fans of like outsourcing for outsourcing sake. So like now we're coming up with a lot of the ideas and we're like testing things out on a week by week basis. But like once we find something that works, it will be going back to the team. We'll be looking like, right, what are all the tasks that we need to do to get this content out consistently? Which ones do we actually need to do at this point? So it feels on brand. So it's still like us. And which ones can we outsource? And it's more like the process tasks that we outsource. And what about when you need advice? Is there anybody that you turn to for that these days? Yes. Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've done quite well over the years to like build a great community of super smart people. And I think you realize that it's not a case of like a ladder system. It's like everyone's got their own skills and like you call on people for like different things. Like Drew Davis is one of our mentors. He keynoted Atomic on for us. Like if we ever feel like creatively stuck or like we need to like sense check an idea, we'll ask him to look over things. We're good friends with Mike and Callie, the membership guys. We actually messaged them like yesterday and we were like, guys, like, could you just like give us your advice on this? We're like, we've got this situation. Like, what do you think would be best for us in Atomic? loads of like great people mark asquith the super smart business guy that like we always get great advice from colin gray janet murray andy christadina amazing analytics and seo and blogging i love his blog you put me onto his blog it's amazing i love andy christadina different advice from different people the more inspiration and support you can get the better really also our team like the best thing about growing a team and doing it like in the more outsourced team roles is that you get like specialists in who are great at doing like their role. So we'll like talk to our community managers who are managing other communities as well. Like we're thinking of doing this in Atomic, like they've got way more experience because they're doing it for multiple people. Do you think this will go down well? Yes or no? Like what are your thoughts? So we do listen and talk to like a lot of people whenever we want to do something. Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today and I would love it if you could both share one final kind of killer tip for the listeners 
in relation to audience growth before we finish up? I would say find something that makes you unique when creating content. In our book, Content Mavericks, we talk about coming up with your content stamp. It's almost like your USP for your content. Like how is what you're creating, whether it's email, blog, podcast, like whatever, how is it different to what anyone else in your industry is doing? Yeah, love that. Top that, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is probably our number one tip. Thanks for taking that one, Andrew. (laughs) My second tip would be constant improvement, I think. Just having that time in your diary. And when I say constant improvement as well, I would say constantly improve the amount of time you spend on content as well. So we started off in our monthly email newsletter and our 200 word blogs. We used to spend a couple of hours a week But then the more time we spent on it, the quicker our audience grew. Wow, who knew? And the quicker our audience grew, the more money we made. So for context, we're talking about one or two full whole days every single week devoted purely to content marketing and growing the audience. And I think that will come as quite a shock to quite a lot of the people listening. Is that what you find with your clients as well? Yeah. Yeah. If you think like, how the hell can I spend two days a week creating content, then you need to charge more incrementally so you can work less. It's all an incremental thing. We didn't suddenly go from two hours to two days. So for example, if you charge a little bit more, it'll give you a little bit more time back. You can spend that more time creating more content, which will give you more demand. The more demand you get, the more confidence you get to raise your prices even more. The more you raise your prices, the more you can outsource or work less. And the more you can do that, the more you can spend even more time creating content. And so it keeps on growing. So prioritize your content, essentially. Yeah, you need to prioritize your content and make more and more and more and more and more time for it and invest in your content. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you as always. And I'll catch up with you again soon. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us, Nikki. And thank you to everyone that's listening as well. If you've got any questions, then just like hit us up on social. Happy to chat. Thanks for listening, everybody. Woohoo! I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you'd like to go a little deeper into some marketing topics with me, then make sure you sign up to join some of my free marketing clinics that I'm running during April. I'm calling them marketing clinics because they are not simply webinars where you turn up and I teach you for an hour. They are a mixture of me teaching you and you getting your questions answered. So I want them to be really interactive. One of the things that I'm best at is coming up with ideas for other people's businesses. So make sure you come along and join these sessions and make use of me during this time. Make sure you sign up for all of the remaining sessions in April. They're running every Thursday at 12.30pm. And because they're free, they're live sessions only, no replays. So I hope to see you there. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to welcoming you back for next week's episode, which is covering how to create content that's not boring. So this one's for you if your content is currently getting very little engagement, maybe some half-hearted likes, but not much beyond that. No sharing tags or recommendations and definitely no conversations, inquiries or opportunities, or at least not as many as you would like. So make sure you join me next week to find out how to reverse that scenario for your business. I'll see you then.